5: Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, I'll present radio's greatest series of high adventure, Escape, starring Ben Wright. And then it's a comedy episode of The Red Skelton Show. And with me, as always, is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. Hi, Lisa. Hi,
6: Carl. Happy to be here, as always.
5: All right. We're on, uh, I don't know, 100-plus radio stations. Your voice is going off across the country. and.
6: Probably good, getting movie
5: offers and television no. offers from it, and voiceover work. You
6: know what? They don't pay as well as
5: you do, so this I'm is, just
6: going to stick around. This and is true. Stay Right here, where my bread and right. butter. Don't is. Don't
5: leave me! I'll chase you! I'll, 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 I'll find you! I'll hunt you down! I'll hunt! I'll hire a bounty hunter. Okay. Yeah.
6: That might be fun. Yeah. That's.
5: <laughs> so uh, we're going to tune into Escape. This is one of the best radio series of the Golden Age of Radio, in my opinion. And uh, Escape premiered in 1947, was one of radio's best anthology series, promising and delivering stories of high-quality mystery, drama, and intrigue. Escape offered listeners just that, an escape from life's everyday grind, freeing you from the four walls of today for a half-hour of high adventure. And like its first cousin suspense, Escape stories involved protagonists in life-or-death situations and featured radio's finest writers, directors, producers, and actors. enjoyed an eight-year run on radio bowing out in 1954. Never made the transition to television for some reason. I don't know why, because I think it would have worked well on TV. Um, This is a radio episode now, July 11th, 1948. It's called She, and it stars Ben Wright, as heard on CBS. Part one now of Escape.
0: Head up with the everyday grind, tired out from the summer heat, want to get away from it all? We offer you Escape, Escape, designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. You are deep in a fabulous mountain cavern, surrounded by a horde of menacing natives from a lost civilization, held at the mercy of the most beautiful woman in the world, the Terrible Queen. ...called She. Tonight, we escape to uncharted Africa... ...and to an incredible adventure... ...as H. Ryder Haggard described it in his fantastic story... ...She. In those days,
7: I was a professor of archaeology at Oxford. And though this may account for my being able to understand... ...some of those strange events which occurred later... ...it was in no respect the reason for my becoming involved in them. No, the real reason was unbelievably simple... I walked through the caves of the dead in the terrible and ancient city of Cor, crossed the awful abyss and looked upon the flame of life, only because I was one of the ugliest men in England. Because of my appearance, I had made few acquaintances and only two close friends, Roger Vinci first, and following his death, his son, Leo, whom he left behind. And it was that friendship which brought Leo Vinci to my chambers off the quadrangle. Late in the evening of the day, he became 25 years old. Today
8: was the first I knew of it, Harley, when the attorneys called me in. Yes. They said Father instructed them the week before he died to give me the letter and this little bronze chest on my 25th birthday. That's strange. I mean, the chest. on the lid show Egyptian influence. It must be very old. Well, according to Father's letter, it contained something over 2,000 years old. Really? <laughs> must have considered it rather important. She's closed the cover with a lead seal. Yes, I see. At any rate, Holly, the letter doesn't tell us much. Suppose we... Uh, suppose we see what's inside. <laughs> All right. I
7: have a geology hammer here somewhere, my boy.
8: Here we are. A chisel.
7: Now you hold it in place on the table. Dear uh, go ahead.
8: Right. Ah, there, it's pulling loose. Yes. Ah, I did it. Well... No. <laughs> Here goes. What the devil is that? Why, it's a clay tile,
7: an old Egyptian writing tablet. Yes, it's the kind used about the time of Nectanebes, around 340 B.C. But the writing on it, it's not Egyptian, it's Greek. Yes, and parts of it are broken away. Oh, it'll take
8: some time to translate this, Leo. But Father apparently did it, Holly, onto this paper. Listen, here's his translation. Read it. I am Anartes, wife of Calicrates. say this to you, my son. Forced to escape the wrath of the great ha ha! Uh-huh, uh-huh. I thought so. Your father and I fled southward across the waters and wandered for twice twelve moons upon the coast of Libya... Now, that's that, the old name for Africa, you know. Ah, uh, that faces the rising sun. And there by the mouth of a river where stands facing the sea... A great mountain carved like the head of an Ethiopian... What is it? Ah. Uh, uh, nothing, Holly. It it, it goes on. Uh, Following the river, we soon fell among. There's a row of asterisks here. That must be one
7: of the places where the tiles broken. Go on, my boy.
8: To a hollow mountain where a great city once stood, and to the terrible caves of which no man had seen the end, and. And to she who must be obeyed.
7: She who must be? What's wrong,
8: Leo? I don't know, Holly. There's something familiar about that name, but. I've never heard it before. Strange. Well, well, come on, get on with it. She who must be obeyed, who did lead us by awesome ways to the place where the great pit is, whose voice is like thunder. And she did show to us the rolling pillar of life, and did stand in the flames. And she spake unto my, and there's a large fragment missing here. Oh, there isn't very much more. Picks up, uh, carried far away on the ships where I gave birth to thee, and came hither to Athens at last. Mm-hmm. So I say to thee, by these things which I have told, Seek out this place. Nor state I will until thou hast the secret of life for thyself. Sit then on the throne with the Pharaoh. And that's all, Ollie. Now what's it all about?
7: Leo, if your father knew, he kept it to himself. I don't know. It's all
8: very strange. Yes. <laughs> well, we'll know as soon as we reach the
3: place. <laughs>
7: <laughs> I was hoping you'd say that.
8: Hey, if you decided not to... I think I should have had a try at finding it alone. I can't do anything else, Holly. It's it's more than curiosity. It's almost a compulsion. There's such a familiar feeling about all this. Even that mountain, Holly, shaped like the head of an Ethiopian. Yes, what about? Well, often on, ever since I was a kid, I've dreamed about a mountain like that. But why, Holly? Why should I?
7: That was the beginning... And some three months later, we drifted down the east coast of Africa, south of Zanzibar, searching the miles of jungle shores for the mountain carved like a head. There were four of us in the tiny sailing dhow: Leo and I, of course, along with Abdullah, the Arab boatman we'd hired in Arden, and finally a solid north countryman named Job, my servant for many years. We'd caught no sight of our landmarkers yet, but a native had told us of seeing it once years before, somewhere to the south. So our hopes held high, and we were confident luck was with us. And sure it was, until one evening, just in dark.
8: That's a pretty stiff wind, Holly. Yes. You think Abdullah knows what he's doing? We're rather close
7: inshore, all right, Leo. I doubt if there's any danger, unless a squall hits. Hey, by gauzey, we're strangers here in an eathen land and you know. all. Anything could happen. It could, Joe, but let's assume that it won't. <laughs> How's the dory making out back there? Oh, trailing along all right behind us. Be in a bad spot if we lost it. We have guns, food, equipment, and everything in it. Yes, I know, Joe. Leo, perhaps we shouldn't have packed the stuff that way, Leo. They should have kept it on board with us. No,
8: no, Holly, We want to be ready to shove off up the river as soon as we sight that head. It would be a tough job loading that boat at sea. Uh, we may not have had to, Leo. We've certainly found no reason to go so far. But we
0: will. I've
8: dreamed ah, of it.
0: Ah, huh? ah.
7: Hey, Master Ollie, look. It's the, the wind, The wind's Ollie. driving the water ahead of it. Adela, lay under that tiller and head her into it. I'll give him a hand, Holly. Come right. it yeah, we've not a chance. Hold
0: on to the mast, Joe. We shall put ah, do
7: The great wave plunged over us, tore away the dory, swamped the dhow beneath our feet, and hurled us headlong into the foaming sea. Half-smothered, fighting the sea afloat, borne shoreward by the driver of the tempest, we were tossed at last, one by one, up onto the rainswept beach. The calm dawn found us huddled together on the sand at the fringe of a dark and forbidding jungle. At the south lay the mouth of a small river, and to the north... The beach ended at the slope of a rocky headland. Leo and Job went to look at the wrecked dory, lying at the water's edge, a hundred yards away. While well, I searched the shoreline for some sign of our boatman, I found none. And we never saw Abdullah again.
8: Oh, Holly. Find any, any trace of him, Holly? No sign, Leo. The is gone for good. Oh, it's too bad.
7: We'll shapes the dory and Job? Wreck. Not a chance of fixing it. But the equipment seems
8: to be all right, sir. Oh, good. It's all there, isn't yes, it? Yes, most of it. The lashing's held and the waterproof case is stood up very well. Only trouble is, we're afoot.
7: Yes, we're going to have a lot of trouble following
8: the coastline. We won't mm-hmm. follow any coastline, Holly. What? We're going up that river. We... Take a look at that headland there to the north. It yes? shows up better from the wreck, Holly, but with the sun coming up now, you can see it from here, too. Oh, I go shape like a human egg. That's it. That's the landmark. Right, Holly. Then that's the river Calacrates followed with his wife, the same one we are going to follow. Oh, but, Leo, with the boat gone, we shall have to break trail through that jungle and follow that riverbank. Yes, we'd better
7: get started. Uh, Look, gentlemen, why can't we just stay here and try to signal some ship? Oh, there's not much
8: chance of it, Job. They stay pretty clear of this coast.
7: But anyway, this is what we've been looking for. I don't really know what we are looking for, Leo. It's been more than 2,000 years since Calacrates went up that
8: river. and Things must have changed a great deal by now. Holly, Holly, that carved head up there in the mountain... It looks exactly the way it always did when I dreamed about it. It's incredible. I've got a strange feeling that whatever Colicrates and his wife found back there in the jungle... will still be waiting there today.
7: For five hot, steaming days, we pushed inland through the jungle... following the banks of the muddy river. Mile by mile, the creeping undergrowth became more dense... The river shallowed and became sluggish, and the swamplands began to stretch out from the low banks. Foul pools and stagnant lagoons full of soft black mud covered over with a green scum made every step a hazard. Crocodiles slid away at our approach, and bright-colored snakes glided out from underfoot. Mile after mile, we forced our way through those evil swamps, each mile more difficult. It finally came the morning of the sixth day.
8: I don't know, Holly. If it gets any worse, we'll never make it. Oh, Excuse
7: me, butting in, gentlemen. But yes, Joe. I-, I say we should turn back. Oh, no,
8: Joe. We've spent
7: five days getting this far. It'd be to
8: waste it. It's just the way I feel. We'll keep on as long as we can. Oh, what, Leo? Oh, I know, I know. I stumbled over something in the mire. Here, take a look at it. It's a rock. Look.
7: Yes. It's a square stone. It's been hand-cut.
8: There's another. It's a section of an old wall of some sort, of a dike. That's it, Holly. A long time ago, the river was held between stone dikes along here,
7: like a sort of canal. It's possible. That might account for the swampland. The dikes gradually fell to pieces,
8: and the river spread out through the jungle. Of course. And, Holly, there could be only one reason for building them. So that boats or barges could come in from the ocean to some kind of a city. A city, hey, gentlemen, why yes. don't we turn back while we can. can city? It had to be a long time ago. Centuries ago. It could still be there, Holly. This place has never been explored. Nobody would ever try to come through these swamps. It
7: we... may include us if it keeps Job, <gasps> what's the matter with you?
8: He must be Oh oh look.
7: Natives. Ah. Where the devil did they come from? I don't know. Ooh, strange-looking brutes.
8: Look at those clothes
7: they're wearing. Yes, I've never seen any quite like them. Except in... Do you recognize their dialect? No, it's a little like Arabic. I might try that. Uh, I've never heard anything like it before. Seemed to want us to
8: come along with them, Holly. Yes, you think we'd better chance it? Well, they outnumber us thirty to one, Leo. Yes, and they're all carrying those stabbing knives. Well,
7: Back as a Dango.
8: Oh, hang on to your guns; they don't seem to know what they're for. Let's go.
7: Our strange escort moved rapidly ahead, twisting and turning as they followed some well remembered trail of their own. We rested during the night on a hummock of dry ground and then struck out again at dawn. It was late afternoon when we left the swamp, and climbed up a long slope to the foot of the rock-walled mountain. Reaching its base, we entered the mouth of a great cavern, and a short way inside, we led into a small side chamber, carved from the living rock, and lighted by a reed wick floating in a jug of oil. And then the strange natives went away and left us, and we sat about on the floor, trying to plan some course of action.
8: Oh, dear. How long do you suppose we've been here, Holly? Close to two hours, I'd say.
7: It must be dark outside by now.
8: Holly, do you have any idea what race they belong to? They're not like any other natives in this part of Africa.
7: Oh, I've seen people much like them in some of the villages in southern Egypt, Leo. But I don't know any more about it than that.
8: They wear those odd tunics, too. Cotton or linen, I suppose. Those bronze headbands. Must have been out of contact with the rest of the world for centuries, Ollie. Evens, that's what they are,
7: and up oh to no good so far as we're concerned. That's you what You will be right, think. Joe, but I still want to find out about the other things Emanati's wrote on the tile. The city of Kaur and the pillar of fire and she who must be obeyed.
8: We found the caves, at least. Well, I can't see anything so terrible about
7: them. Perhaps we haven't seen everything in the cave.
9: Uh-huh. Oh, well. Nibohob.
8: Oh. Our little chum.
9: Nibohob.
8: He seems to want us to follow him. Mm. Well, hang on to your guns. Right you are. Stick close together. Don't let them separate us. All right, Job? Come, let's go. A strange guide led
7: us along the twisting, branching passageways, lighting our way with a flaming torch that threw weird shadows on the walls of solid rock. Now and then we passed side chambers lined with long rows of stone slabs. Then I saw that each slab held the sheeted figure of a human body and I realized these caves were one vast crypt filled with the mummified bodies of some vanished race gradually as we moved on a most remarkable sound began to grow louder made up of the guttural voices of a crowd the throbbing of drums and the moan of some strange musical instrument suddenly the narrow passage opened out into a great hollowed cavern where natives danced and postured in the eerie glare from a hundred huge torches placed about the walls I stared in amazement the torches were flaming mummies tied upright to the posts. And the guide had lighted our way through the passages with a human arm.
8: Nebuk. Org Jane? I think he means for us to walk toward that platform in the center. Yes. There's a pit of coals burning on the top of it. Nebuk. Yes, come on. Watch it, Holly. I don't like the looks of this.
7: All right. Keep your gun handy, Leo. Stay right with us, Joe.
8: They look anything
7: but friendly. If anything starts, try to get on the platform. They've got no weapons except those stabbing knives, remember?
8: Well, here we are. Now what? Divine
7: It's quite some fire they've got built up. Can't understand what they need to do. Joe, 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 look out, Holly. They killed Joe. The devil's back against the wall, Leo. Ah.
10: Watch it. Here they come. All right, you
7: stab Job without a chance there.
10: What are you left? Holly, let's try for the prank. Um, free- uh,
8: what the deuce is this? Old man in a long white robe.
7: Hold your gun ready, Leo. We'll see what
8: happens.
10: Never, Andy. Anjibo.
8: Well they're scared to death of him, whoever he is. Wait, he's coming our way.
10: I presume you speak English, gentlemen?
7: Yes, Uh but you do.
10: Occasionally, natives from the south have come through the swamps, and we have captured them. I have learned many of the languages of the outside world. I am Bilali.
8: Uh, um, uh, Leo Vinci, and, and this is Mr. Holly. I
10: am most sorrowful for the death of your companion.
8: Oh, yes, poor
10: Joe. My children had no excuse... They know the law. From now on, you will be allowed to complete freedom. No white man is ever to be eaten. Eaten? That is what would have been done to you. But rest assured, her law is just, and their punishment will be swift. Whose law? That of she who must be obeyed. Holly! This is it, Holly. We're still on the right trail. She has demanded your presence. I have come to take you to the place where
7: she is. Tell me, Bilali, who or what is this she who must be obeyed? A goddess, a queen, a white woman?
10: I could not say, my son. I have never seen she come along.
6: And that's the first portion of Escape from July 11th, 1948, called She, starring Ben Wright.
5: Okay. Uh, I want to remind all of our listeners we have a Facebook page. Which is?
6: Hollywood 360 Radio. Uh, Mike and I check that Facebook page every minute of every hour of every day. So if you post to us, we will reply, we will respond, and we will listen to your suggestions on the show.
5: Right. And uh, that's where we post pictures of you and your cat where you could win a year's supply of Cat's Pride kitty litter. Who wouldn't want to win that if you owned a cat? Tell our listeners what they need to do to join this drawing.
6: Yes, we are dying to give away a year supply of Cat's Pride kitty litter. All you need to do is send in a picture of you and your cat with your name and cat's name, city and state, to catspridephoto at gmail.com. Each and every month, at the end of the month, we have a drawing, and we give away a year's supply of kitty litter to one lucky winner. That's all sponsored by Cat's Pride.
5: Right, so 12 people win in a year. I did that, the math. Yeah,
6: that was pretty good.
5: I, You know, listen, I so, didn't get my, uh, <laughs> the my higher GED for nothing. <laughs> for nothing, you know.
6: So the end of February, we will have a brand new winner, and uh, we are excited to get your pictures as well. Catspridephoto, gmail.com.
5: All right, let's take a quick break here on Hollywood 360. When we come back, it's the conclusion to Escape with an episode called She. Don't go away.
0: More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. <laughs> Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360.
6: Now to the conclusion of Escape from 1948 called She Starring Ben Wright.
7: Again through those tortuous passages, two of us now, with kindly old Bilali leading the way, until he left us alone at last in a large chamber hung with brilliant colored silks, fitted with soft divans, and lighted by crystal lamps. We stood there several minutes, not speaking. Wondering, when suddenly, the curtains across the doorway parted and a most amazing figure stood before us. It was swathed in folds of filmy white draperies, with soft, gauzy veils covering even the face and hands.
3: I bid you welcome to the city of Kor, Calacrates and friend of Calacrates.
8: I, uh, I, I, I'm not... Caracrates, I'm Leo Vinci and, and this is my friend Mr. Holly.
3: Leo Vinci. Vengeance. No matter you will understand. Are you I am she.
7: We you must forgive us if we find it difficult to understand this. What is all this? The, these caves, the natives. What is Kor?
3: Cor is a great city that rose up and then died many thousand years ago. These are the caves of Kor. The city itself stands farther on, in a huge crater at the heart of the mountain.
8: Are you a descendant of Kor?
3: I came from another place, far away, and Kor was dead long before I found it. The natives know me as a fearsome figure in white, and they obey me.
7: They have never seen you?
3: No, Holly. Not one of them has ever seen behind these veils. It's amazing
8: to think that color craters must have been here in this same place... Over 2,000 years ago.
3: 2,287 years ago. Calacrates died in this very chamber.
8: You you speak as though you saw
7: it happen.
3: I did see it happen. I killed him. But you couldn't. That was over 2,000 years ago. Yes. And at that time, I had been here in Corps for more than 500 years. Impossible. How do you know? You haven't seen me. But then you claim to be immortal. Yes, as he could have been had he stepped with me into the flames of life. As you can be my Calicrates, if you so choose.
7: I I hope you'll forgive me, but I, I, I can't believe anything so fantastic.
3: Is it proof you need? Proof that I once did an evil act in anger and paid for it by waiting alone through all these centuries? Proof that my waiting is ended now? Then look upon it behind this curtain.
8: A mummy. A mummy like those out in the caves, but look at the face. Leo,
3: huh? it's you. That's you lying there. That is the body of Callicrates, whom I loved and whom I killed in anger when he refused to leave her and stay with me to become immortal. His wife, Amenertes fled across the mountains and later gave birth to his son, your ancestor.
7: Then, Leo, that clay tile has been handed down in your family for over twenty centuries.
3: I have paid for my sin, and I have waited. Knowing that someday my Callicrates would be born to me again, would come back to Cor and find me.
8: It was as though I had to. I dreamed of that carved mountain before I'd ever seen it.
3: And your name, she who must be obeyed. It struck some chord in my memory the first time I heard it. It is your heart that must be obeyed now, my beloved. The decision is yours whether to leave me once again now that you have found me or to walk with me into the pillar of life, to love me and to become immortal.
8: Yes. I feel somehow that this is the ending of something I've been moving toward all my life. Leo! but, But it isn't possible... Immortality. And how can you love someone you've never seen?
3: Then you shall see, my beloved. I've worn these veils for you, and for you I... Look. Oh.
7: The soft veil slid off from her shoulders, and she stood revealed before us. The most beautiful woman the world has ever seen.
3: Will you leave me now, my Callicrates, or come with me to the flame of life? I'll go with you
8: anywhere. Anywhere.
7: We talked the night away in that chamber, Leo and I fascinated by every word that fell from those lovely lips. She talked of the hidden knowledge of ancient lands sang softly of her thoughts in rhyme and spoke once again the words of long-dead poets forgotten by the world. She made us believe in her own immortality and in ours to come. And before dawn, Bill Hally with us, we followed her madly and joyously through the dim and dusty passage that led to the flame of life. We came to a great abyss, with a narrow ledge crossing over it like a rainbow rock. There, Bilali waited, and we three went on alone. At the sight of the awful depths beneath us, Leo and I shuddered in spite of ourselves and moved carefully, step by step. She never hesitated, but swayed along gaily before us like a feather borne on a breeze. Finally, we stood in a vast circular chamber, a great bubble in the earth's crust whose walls were shining black
8: basalt. Holly. Yes. I see there by the wall. It looks like the body of a
3: man. An old philosopher, my beloved, oh. who came here many centuries ago. He sat and watched the flame and could not decide whether he should become immortal. Finally, he died.
7: And you? Have you never regretted becoming immortal?
3: I could not have waited for Callicrates, Holly, had I not been immortal. But you, Leo, perhaps you have doubts.
8: Immortality will not even be long enough with you. Where is the flame?
3: Listen. Even now it approaches. It advances and then retreats a never-ending cycle of life. It has moved along its path through this cavern since the beginning of time. Holly, look! Do not fear it, beloved. See, this time I will step into the flame alone. And when it comes again, you may join me. It's like the fire of the sun and the dust of a million diamonds
7: the great and terrible pillar of flame approached she threw off her veils and opened her arms to it and the eternal fire flowed over her It passed and left her there standing with her head bowed
8: you no, I are you all right it didn't harm you
3: no my beloved. Can one find harm in the flame that created life itself? Do you believe that... What? That... What's wrong?
8: I, Tell me what's wrong.
3: The flame was different somehow. Now that Calicrates has returned, the curse of everlasting life is lifted. Leo, she's aging. Grow gold. No, I... Oh, no. I do not... If I go... Search for me. Search.
7: Merciful heavens.
3: Oh, no. No.
7: Even as Leo's hands reached out to touch her, they closed on a dry heap of soft, gray dust. I knew now that neither of us would step into the flame. And I knew we would spend our lives searching through the world for she. I seemed to hear in my mind once again words she had spoken in those glorious hours the night before. I knew that Leo was hearing them too and that neither of us, so long as we live, could ever forget
10: that lovely
8: voice.
3: Nay, not in core, but in whatever spot in town or field or by the insatiate sea men brood on buried loves or unforgot or break themselves on some divine decree. Or would o'er leap the limits of their lot. There, in the tombs and deathless, dwelleth she.
0: Escape, produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Tonight brought you She by H. Ryder Haggard. Adapted for radio by Les Crutchfield. With editorial supervision by John Dunkel. Featured in tonight's cast were Barry Kroger, Larry Dobkin, Kay Brinker, Ben Wright, and Wilms Herbert. Special music by Ivan Dittmars. Next week, we escape with F.R. Buckley's exciting story, Habit. Good night, then, until this same time next week, when once again we offer you Escape. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
5: And that's Escape from July 11th, 1948, with She starring Ben Wright, also in the cast Barry Kroger, Kay Brinker, Lawrence Dobkin, and Wilms Herbert, sustaining over CBS. Uh, Escape for some strange reason, Lisa, as good of a show as it was, it, it never had a sponsor. I mean, there was here and there a little spot. Richfield Oil sponsored it for maybe a few weeks. But uh, it could never sustain a sponsor for some strange reason. And, uh, and Suspense, which was its sister program, very similar to Escape, always had a sponsor. It's just very weird because they were both on the same network. I really don't know why because they were in equal, really, uh, production values. Uh, Suspense did have bigger stars on them. Maybe that had something to do with it. I don't know. But we have sponsors. That's a good thing. Yes. Well, Our sponsors like you. They like well, I don't know if they, they like me. They kinda of like, like you. They like the classic radio shows, that's for sure. They
6: sure do, and they yeah. give away a year's supply of kitty litter every year, that's so we're happy true. for every that month. sponsor. I'm every sorry, month every month that. for a year.
5: That's right. All right, it's time now for the Red Skelton show. Should we tune that in? Yes. Everybody let's do it. knows Red Skelton. He was in the movies, of course. He was on television. But he also had a radio show. But I will say this, his radio show was popular, but it was not as popular as his TV show. When he made it to television, it was big time. The Red Skelton show was on many, many years. He first started on the Rudy Valley show in 1937, and then he sort of uh, got his own program out of that. His first show was called Avalon Time, it came to radio in 1941 where so he started developing some of his funny characters for radio, including the punch-drunk uh, boxer, Cauliflower, McPug, and the inebriated Willie Lump Lump, and Junior, the mean widow kid. That was his most popular one, Junior, the mean widow kid. But on television, he couldn't do that character. It was weird to have a grown man you know, playing this little kid, so on TV it didn't work, but on radio it did. And, of course, he, he, he did many, many years on television and in the movies. So everybody loves Red Skelton. Let's tune this in now. Let's go back to May 9, 1944, a show called Swimming, Part 1 of the Red Skelton Show.
0: The Raleigh Cigarette Program from Hollywood, starring Red Skelton. With Ozzie Nelson, his orchestra, Harriet Hilliard, B. Benaderet, Ferdinand Meunier, and yours truly, Marvin Miller. And now we bring you MGM's popular comedian and the star of our Ollie Cigarette Show, Red Skelton
2: Thank you very much, much, ladies and gentlemen How are you tonight, Marvin? Greetings, Red Well, careful how you use that word, greeting (laughs) It reminds me of a letter I got recently (laughs) I, I used to remember when greetings meant a birthday or Christmas. Now it only means one thing, bon voyage.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Say, Marvin, who do we have with us tonight that plays an important part in our American way of living? Eh? Well,
0: Red, I want you to meet Kenneth Lynn, a lifeguard. Well. well.
2: how are you there, Kenneth? I'm fine, Red. You know, I went for a swim down at the ocean yesterday. Wasn't the water cold? Yeah, but I went right in. <laughs> I never did find out who pushed me, though. <laughs> Hey, did you see me down at the beach, Ken?
9: Yeah, I saw you. But, brother, that bathing suit. Well, I guess it was a little old-fashioned, but that's handmade lace around the skirt, you know. <laughs> a little old-fashioned. Red, sleeves in the suit are all right, but cotton stockings.
1: <laughs>
2: well, I'm
9: not going to wear my good nylon.
1: <laughs>
9: Say, tell me, are the girls' uh, bathing suits still as small as ever, I hope? <laughs> yes, Red. Yes, <laughs> Red. The other day, my girl had on a suit that was really small. In fact, she went back to the locker room three times to make sure she had it on. (laughs) Really?
2: (laughs) Well, I wouldn't get mad over a little
9: thing like that. uh,
2: Truthfully, tell me,
9: how do I look in a bathing suit, huh? Like an ad in a magazine. You mean Charlie Atlas? No, the one that says, give this boy vitamins. (laughs)
2: You know, in my day as a swimmer, I did exhibition diving, you know. I Once I climbed a, a hundred-foot ladder, walked out to the end of the diving board... Then what? You know, it's harder to climb down a ladder than it is to climb... A <laughs> I, did a, I did a swan dive once, so graceful that a swan looked up and he says, It's all on. <laughs> Say, so tell me, how do lifeguards get paid? So much per head, or how?
9: <laughs> no, some lifeguards are paid by the county or state. But many lifeguards volunteer their services. They don't get paid at all.
2: They don't? Do uh, lifeguards have to pass a pretty tough test?
9: Yes. We have to swim a 1,000 yards, run a 100-yard dash in less than 25 minutes, and know how to handle a dory. Uh, who's he? <laughs> <laughs> a red, a dory's a boat. Oh, oh, well I,
2: don't know. well, I don't feel so bad now. I just saw one sailor down there explain it to another sailor. <laughs> Say, uh, uh, want to help me out here? Oh, I see. Uh, uh, I guess you can tell us a lot of unusual stories about people that you've rescued, huh?
9: Yes, but the funniest one I know about is a person I didn't rescue. Yeah. She came up to me very indignantly and yelled, Didn't you see me drowning out there? I said, No, I didn't, ma'am. Who brought you in?
1: What'd she say?
9: She said, I swam in, you dope. I've got to get home and get supper ready. <laughs>
2: We'd smart. We'll uh, cut yeah. it there where you yeah, said yeah, you don't. Know. Right hey, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, how do you rescue? How do you rescue? <laughs> how do you read this thing? <laughs> how do you rescue a drowning
1: person?
2: Huh?
9: Well, number one, never let the drowning person grab you around the neck. Oh, uh, uh, really? <laughs> the first time I tried to rescue someone, she
2: was about 20 yards from the shore, and I dove in to get her, you know. Did she struggle much? Yeah, she struggled quite
9: a bit, but she finally dragged me on the beach.
2: (laughs) 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 Tell me, how do you revive a rescued person?
9: Well, I generally apply artificial respiration. Can't
2: afford the real stuff. (laughs)
9: Uh, The person is laid face down, and kneeling beside the patient, I apply pressure to promote breathing.
2: Well, how long can you stay underwater? About a minute. You know, my father, Gus, made a bet that he could stay underwater for an hour, and he did it.
9: Gee, I'd like to meet him.
2: Well, we can't drag the bay just for that. (laughs) Well, thanks for paddling paddling by, Ken. And next time I'm down to the beach to take a swim, I'll drop by, and you can put my water wings on me. (laughs) Good night, Red. Good night. (laughs) Our satire tonight is on swimming in the bathing beaches. When the first warm day hits spring, uh, the first warm day of spring hits the countryside, (laughs) all the boys head for the old swimming hole. So let's follow Clem, the fellow from the country. What a beautiful
1: morning. <laughs> so what a beautiful day. Howdy,
2: Clem. Howdy, doody to you. How are you there, Mr. Pickens? Say, how do you stand the draft these days?
4: Well, I ain't standing it no longer. I'm just sitting and waiting. Say, <laughs> Clem, uh, you don't know where there's any good fishing around here, do you? Yeah,
2: over at uh, George's Creek. Well, that's pretty far, ain't it? Well, it seems farther than it is, but it ain't. Uh, where are you heading? I'm going swimming. Why? Can you swim? I don't know, but I'll find out when I get in the water. <laughs> <laughs> that's too fast for him. He didn't get it. You
4: know. Well, truth be clam, I didn't want it. <laughs> well, I've got to go down to the Republican Club. <laughs> I've got to go down to the Republican Club and find out what the Democrats is getting blamed for today. Take care of yourself, clam. Okay, freaking there. Do,
2: do the old swimming hole. Down at the old swimming hole. The folks don't think I'm cute because they take off my clothes and swim in my longies because I got no bathing suit. <laughs> Well, there's the old swimming hole, boy. Ain't that inviting? It's so calm and stagnant. Look at it.
4: <laughs> oh,
2: boy, look a bathing beauty.
4: Hello,
1: Clem. Well, dee, dee, de- dee, de- dee,
2: <laughs> <laughs> dee, dee, are talk juicy, don't I? Huh?
4: <laughs> I
2: should talk to people with a little bar of soap in my hand. <laughs> hey, what you doing down here?
4: Well, I- was going swimming, so I followed you. Ooh. How come you didn't bring me with you?
2: Oh, only last month I took you up the top of the hill to see the wildflowers, didn't it? Seems to me you're on the wanting to go on the go all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you look nice in your bathing suit. <laughs>
4: Hurrell wants me to pose as a model.
2: Hurrell, you say? Well. (laughs) With them legs you're going
1: to
4: pose? Well, don't you think they'd use my legs in an ad?
2: Sure. What you going to pose for, barrel stage?
4: (laughs) Well, you don't look so hot yourself. Look at your stomach. Looks like a beer keg.
2: Well, it should. That's what I've been using it for. (laughs) And you going swimming?
4: Well. I'd like to, but I can't swim. So I'll, I'll just lie here on the sand and get a suntan. No. Exercise by skipping my rope. Oh, will Let's see it. you run and dive in.
2: No, that water might be cold, you know.
4: <laughs> well, cold water won't hurt you. I take a cold shower every morning, and I'm a woman.
2: Oh, well, you Douglas aircraft workers. <laughs>
4: here, Clem, let me help you in. Well,
2: now, don't you push me. is it cold, Clem? Oh, no, I always turn blue at this time of the day. Say, did you ever see me doing my fancy high dives? Hmm? No. Nope. Well, watch this, will you?
4: What, Clem, That's wonderful. You dived into the water and then came right back up on the bank.
2: Yep. Had to set through a newsreel three hundred times before I learned how to do that. <laughs>
6: And that's the first portion of the Red Skelton Show from May 9th, 1944, called Swimming, starring Red Skelton.
5: All right. Uh, good show is heard on NBC. We'll get back to that in just a few moments. But right now, we got to pay some bills. So let's take a break here on Hollywood 360. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. In our next hour here on Hollywood 360, Lisa, we'll tune into the conclusion to the Red Skelton Show from 1944 then. We are going to listen to a terrific episode of Suspense starring Edmund Gwen. Remember Edmund Gwen? He played Chris Kringle in Miracle on 34th Street. And here he is in a good mystery on Suspense. So stick around. Don't go away. Lisa and I and the whole gang will be back here in our fourth hour.